Why did it count backwards? I know that we're now recording. <laughs> what? Hello, Captain. <laughs> what do I? Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly. Away. What are we going to talk about? I don't know. So leadership, life, and everything else. Yeah. Okay, we're live. Hey. Mm. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode one. I my name is Michelle Huntington, and I'm Guy Newman. Welcome to Captain and the Clown, life, leadership, and everything else. So, uh, why are we calling calling this Captain and the Clown? Well, the clown's obvious. It's you, <laughs> based on your dad jokes. Yeah, they're not good. They're not good. And um, Captain, because uh, you were an airline captain. Correct. Two yes. airlines, actually. Two airlines. Yes, yeah. yes. So, okay, we've got that part sorted. So, why life? life leadership and everything else why the mm-hmm. life bit um well when we met you started to tell me about some of your experiences and i i joked that i didn't think anyone could have that many experiences in one lifetime and i also said that you probably should never print out your cv because you probably take up half the Am- amazon in paper well yours is um up there with mine it, it really is diverse yes and leadership leadership well I, I teach leadership and i speak about leadership so uh, that's my area of passion i guess yes yeah. and uh, i've done a little bit of leadership as an airline captain there oh you have a lot of leadership training yes. as an airline captain i think you're selling yourself a bit short there that's right yeah so we're both passionate about that topic and Everything else, because... Well, we don't really want to limit ourselves. <laughs> no, so that covers everything. I think we're fine there. Um, so what's this episode gonna, going to be about? Well, I think if we get to know more about each other, then the listeners will also get to know more about us. Yeah. And, yeah, we'll All see right. how it goes. And we are going to be spending a lot of time together doing these podcasts, so it would be good to know more about you and to check to see if all of those uh, items on your CV are actually true. Yeah, that's right. I, I, can't, I can't imagine that anyone could have that that number of experiences in one lifetime. So There may be a couple be... of little bullshit items in there. All right, no worries. Well, let's see if we can find out which ones those are. Okay. Um, and because it's the first podcast that uh, we're doing, I thought we, we should probably celebrate. So uh, I don't think the listeners would mind if we if we participate a little little celebration drink. And um, I, I've chosen Bollinger because I yeah. think you know first podcast we may as well celebrate and uh, and enjoy this this journey of getting to know each other. <laughs> Whoopa! And uh, and share some stories. So. I asked you to write down a list of things that we could talk about, your experiences. Yes, um, and I asked you to also write down a list. Yeah. And I don't know if the listeners can hear those bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> can you? Well, if we, we'll do some ASMR and we'll put it nice and close to the, oh, yes. to the microphone. Yes, yes. There yeah, we go. Sounding good. So that's the sound of Bollinger if you're listening from home. Yeah. Um, yes, so this podcast good. is brought to you by Bollinger, yeah. our, our wishful, our wishful sponsor. Yeah. Well, yes. If you want to get in touch, it's Captain and the Clown at Gmail dot com. Well, we're having to do quite a few of these. So if, if we're having a Bollinger every single 
episode. It's going to be a fun journey, or we might end up in AA. Anyway. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Episode number one. In episode number one. Off we go. Um, so we're going to start with uh, airline captain. So you mentioned you were an airline captain. How did you get to be an airline captain? I, I believe you were on a, a flight on the weekend that reminded you of a story. Yeah. So I flew down to Melbourne on the weekend. We flew down to Melbourne on mm. the weekend. And the captain who um, was captaining the aircraft at the time, it reminded me of when I was, I was a first officer for nine years before um, my number came up as far as in seniority and um, I could start or commence training to become a captain. And he had said to me, I remember it was my first flight in, uh, sorry, my last flight as a first officer into Hamilton Island. And we were coming around the corner and as we were going on to approach to land, he mentioned just off the cuff, I don't think you're ready to be a captain. Now I'd been studying for months, years to become a captain. I knew all the textbooks. I knew everything about the aircraft, the engines, the airspace, the rules, the regulations, you name it, I knew it. And for him to say this to me, especially as we were coming into land, it threw me. So once we so were this on the is ground, the end of all of your study. That, well, that's right. I hadn't actually commenced the training part yet, yeah. but I had been preparing for years. Yeah. And... Um, so, yeah, it did throw me. And once we landed and we'd, we'd shut down and everything, we were waiting for passengers, I asked him, why why don't you think I'm ready to be a captain? Because I'm thinking, is there something that's obviously deficient in my knowledge, in my how I hold myself, carry myself operationally, etc.? And he said to me, uh, no, it's just I don't think women make good captains. Oh, no. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's so weird that women are able and capable to fly aeroplanes. That's right, weird and an asshole, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it, but you obviously proved him wrong. That's right, yes, mm. I, I continued despite his opinion, yes. Yeah. So was and the... so did other women in the airline. <laughs> was that common, that you were held back by the... the male of the genders? No, no, it was actually, if it, look, I'm sure there was opinion out there that um, women or myself weren't going to be or weren't a particularly great captain because of our gender. However, it wasn't obvious except for the odd occasion when these weird folk mentioned it. Mm, that does sound weird. Mm. Yes. Uh, well, I'm glad you pushed through and ended up being a, a pilot. Because I, I remember sitting on a plane one day and hearing the captain announce uh, that she was ready to take off. And I, I recall it was you. Yeah. I, rem- I remember when we first started to talk about our, our histories that you mentioned that you were a captain. I remember hearing your, your name many times on my flights to Adelaide. Oh, I hope it was a, a nice flight. Yeah, good I, I remember it being a very smooth landing. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Now, you're obviously, that's the captain part of the name. Yes. So the clown part, you were a clown. Um, that was at the beginning of your career. Yeah, yes. Uh, not my clowning career, but my <laughs> career. Yeah, when, when I was a kid, I was a clown in a circus. Uh, I often joke, it wasn't Cirque du Soleil, it was the flying... I've heard that joke It's not a good joke. Um, it's a, uh, a small children's circus, although not so small now, in Albury, Wodonga, where I did high school. It was called the Flying Fruit Fly Circus. And when we moved to Albury... 
and uh, my brother and I joined the circus and I became a clown. I was also a juggler, a unicycler, an acrobat and I got to do that for six years and whilst we were in high school we were also in the circus and during holidays we used to travel around the world performing and uh, we used to wear lycra before lycra was fashionable <laughs> <laughs> with, with our... A uh, mammal before. Yeah, we were a mammal, yes, and um, uh, you might have to explain what mammal means. <laughs> middle-aged man in lycra, except you weren't middle-aged. No, no, we were children and so we used to wear bright sparklies, um, lycra outfits and, and do all sorts of... Our, our, our tagline in the Flying Fruit Fly Circus was ordinary kids doing extraordinary things and mm, yeah, I like so I got to do that for six years when, when I was in high school. That was, the, that was my start and when I was 15 they asked me to be a trainer in the circus and teach the other kids and so that's where I developed a passion for, for teaching other people. Oh, wow. I feel very, very inadequate now because I think when I was 15, 16, I was more concerned about boys than anything else. <laughs> well, I was also very concerned about girls. That's why I joined the circus because the, uh, the, my very first ever kiss was from a girl that was in that circus. So I joined circus hoping for another one. Didn't end up getting another kiss. But anyway, oh. had a lot of great experiences as a clown and a juggler. <laughs> um, now, I believe you were also a, an instructor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, um, on learning, well, after I learned to fly, I we needed to, um, in order to join the airlines, I'll start from the beginning, in order to join the airlines, which was my goal, I needed to have a certain amount of hours flying. So, how you get those hours there are like quite a few different ways you can either teach other pilots to fly which is weird in itself that you're just a new pilot and then you're teaching other people who have never flown to fly uh there was you could do mustering you could do um did you ever do mustering uh i i've done the qualification okay but uh no i never never mustered Mm -hmm. you could do ferry flying you could do outback Flying flying ferries yes Flying ferry? No. No, no. <laughs> okay, so I did do ferry flying, and that's where I brought a number of aircraft, single-engine aircraft, one at a time. Um, from America was my, where I picked them up from, and New Zealand, and I would island hop. So started uh, wherever they were picked up in America, and then I would, uh, whichever town or airport I, I got them from, I would do proving flights, so five or so hours, just working out fuel consumption, oil consumption, making so- sure it was serviceable. And then I would set off once the winds were correct. And So I'm, I'm picturing you by yourself in a very small plane leaving America and flying back to Australia am I, am I, and hopping along islands as we go. Correct, is, that, is that what correct. you're saying? Yes, yes, that's what I, that's what I did. Um, some call me brave, some call me stupid. But <laughs> uh, Well, I've, I've got other words that start with B, um, but I don't think you've got any. Um, that's, that's, <laughs> that's ballsy. That's by yourself in a single-engine aircraft hopping from island to island. Yeah, but what's a small plane? Yeah, just a six-cylinder plane, usually yep. four seats, but the seats would be removed so okay. I could fit in a fuel bladder, which usually contained about 15 hours worth of fuel, and that's Avgas. And so, I, so you're in a plane with a big bladder of Avgas? Basically, a, yeah, a fuel, fuel with wings. That was me. A fuel with wings. <laughs> did that not make the plane heavy? Uh, it did, very heavy. Uh, overweight, and I was allowed to be a certain percentage overweight. However, 
if I was only that percentage overweight, I would not make it to the next island. So there was some creative accounting and um, yeah, I was able to make it to the island. <laughs> but it did make for interesting times because you were overweight, so therefore you required a very long runway and it took a long time to climb because you needed to keep the engine cool and yeah it, there was some interesting times okay so you're you're up in the air with a big bladder of fuel behind you in a tiny little aircraft i'm presuming no cabin service no no and <laughs> at, well after the first time I actually realized that I needed to fly in a skirt, like a flowy skirt, because going to the toilet, there's no toilet on board. So That was going to be my next question. (laughs) So in order to, you know, stay hydrated, I drink water, I drink tea, and um, I would need to go to the bathroom eventually. So, yeah, I'd have to... um, big creative and if you had to pull down trousers it just it wasn't viable you couldn't do it so um yeah i would i would wear a skirt and i'd use a product called a travel john where you fit it to yourself and it's got absorbent beads a bit like a nappy i didn't wear an adult diaper though and you're not a nasa nasa astronaut no uh, but i uh yeah I, i did get creative and um yeah the longest the longest leg of most of my ferry flying was 13 and a half hours or of all of my ferry so flying. sitting down 13 and a half hours with a big bladder of fuel behind you using a travel john yes <laughs> yeah i'm not quite sure if if, if, if it's ballsy stupid or brave I, I mean i think it's definitely brave that's that's certainly not something that i i would entertain doing that's that's incredible and all of this was to to clock up the hours to, that's right yeah, yeah. so wow. from the west coast of uh the u.s to uh, Sydney basically was 56 hours of flying time. Now that wasn't done all at once, and I I had a rule I wouldn't fly at night time because if ultimately is that the plane behind you now, like flying overhead? <laughs> I can I can hear an aeroplane outside the studio. <laughs> That's right. That's what I dreamed of. I'm one of those people that tragic aerosexual that looks up every time an aircraft flies over. Is that a Saab that just went by? <laughs> it could have been. Could have been a Saab. <laughs> but I. Um, yeah, I would I would island hop. So the longest being 13 and a half hours and the shortest being from on in a single engine aeroplane from uh, Lord Howe, correction, from Norfolk to Lord Howe mm. was uh, five and a half hours. So wow. that was the shortest leg that I that I did. But okay. Yeah. Yes. Well, kudos to you. That's 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 very, very brave. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine being by myself in a single engine aircraft hopping across islands across the Pacific Ocean that's oh watching every hour tick by that's slowly incredible. <laughs> that's incredible the things you've done to become a pilot that's it that's I extraordinary know, yeah. and I believe you were also a corporate pilot at one point I was I got to I was very fortunate so after I did instructing taught other pilots to fly I and did, did the ferry flying I then graduated to um being able to fly small corporate jets and there were some great times there you know you had uh, business people who had um, properties in outback uh, Queensland in WA in Tasmania and I would fly them around as their private pilot in their private aircraft 
And yeah, I got to see lots of the country that a lot of people have never seen and to do it all by air was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there were some interesting characters, definitely yeah. interesting characters. And all of this was leading you to have enough miles to become an airline captain. Yeah, enough that- hours. So finally racked up those hours and then... Yeah, went into the airlines, which surprisingly was easier than all of the flying I'd done previously by myself because there was, rather than when something went wrong, looking, you know, turning to your left and only seeing your own reflection, you could turn to your left or right, depending on which seat you were in, and uh, there was someone else there smiling Mm. or swearing with you. You wouldn't need to be quite as brave as having a big bladder of fuel behind you. You've got... A, a first officer and a captain. And, That's right, yeah. first officer and captain, and, and we had cabin crew. Very happy to be po- doing a podcast with a, with a pilot because when we fly around the world to do this podcast, <laughs> I, you know, if, if anything goes wrong with the plane, I know who I can turn to. <laughs> uh, having flown with me, you know, as a passenger, you know how painful that is. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do narrate your, your trips, but oh, that no, that's makes, the, makes the flight interesting. <laughs> yeah, okay. After being a circus clown... You then went on and did your own training and many hours to become an Olympian. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, as well as as being in the circus, I also played sport. My brother and I were sports fanatics and and I ended up choosing water polo in high school. Uh, One of my uh, very best friends introduced me to the sport. He was one of my teachers at high school and he asked if anyone would be interested in taking up water polo at high school. And uh, being a sports nut, I put my hand up and I could swim uh, because I was always surrounded by water growing up and actually... I was uh, born on a tropical island with a Pacific island as my backyard, so water was always around me. And, and I so, actually, I'm going to interject there, I know that island yes. because I landed there when I was flying <laughs> aircraft. Here I was trying to impress you with where I was born, but you actually landed an aircraft, a single engine aircraft that you flew all by yourself from America to the island that I just happened to be born on. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, I thought that, that was impressive, my, my part of our, of our story, like when I was telling you about where I was born and you said, yeah, I've flown there, I've landed there. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. No, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, so water's. I've always been surrounded by water, so I ended up playing water polo and in high school. And then after high school, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship down to the Australian Institute of Sport, and I lived there for twelve years. And I ended up going to the Olympics in nineteen ninety two. So yes, an wow. Olympian. Mm. Wow. And that's I think where I developed the the real passion for for things like leadership, which is one of the topics of this podcast or the future podcast after the audience gets to know who we are. Um, So I I had the privilege of representing Australia and travelling around the world many times and to many countries and, um, yeah, representing our great country. Wow, the drive and focus to get to the Olympics. I I imagine it would have been a few early mornings. Yeah, we um, woke up very early most mornings, uh, especially in a cold uh, Canberra in the middle of winter. I, I didn't know that I looked this up after I'd left Canberra that the coldest temperature when I was living there was minus 10 degrees and we used to get up very early and go and jump into a walk across frozen grass and jump into a cold pool, which was uh, quite a motivational challenge, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But being surrounded by lots of other very motivated athletes in lots of different sports was, was something that certainly helps you when you're surrounded by motivated people, you can't help but be motivated yourself. And yeah, we worked very hard and trained long hours in the pool and the gym and and did everything we could to become the best that we could. And yeah, it was, it was a fantastic experience. 
definitely. And I think one of the things I love about playing water polo is the fact that it's primarily played in Europe. So we, <laughs> we got to we got to travel across to Europe many times and to America and 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 play against all of the different nations and it was certainly a fantastic um, start to my life to experience all of that and see the world and, and do it as a competitive sports person. Uh, I remember one trip going to Hungary and being on Margaret Island, one of the most beautiful pools in the world, and the change rooms are inside and you swim through a tunnel outside and it's freezing cold outside but the pool's heated and I remember it being so cold outside and so warm in the pool that I was in the goals I was a goalkeeper in water polo and I was sitting in the goals but I couldn't see the goals at the other end of the field because of the steam and the uh, coming off the pool because it was freezing outside but uh, half the pools were indoors half were outdoors I love the outdoor ones they were beautiful some some gorgeous places were played around the world in Spain and in Hungary and Germany and many other, many other, Italy, many other countries. Mm. Mm. Oh, that would have been amazing. Mm, it was. It was a fantastic experience. I, and I, I feel privileged that I was able to do it um, and, and represent the country and, and go overseas and wear the green and gold. Mm. Mm. Yes, very impressive. So um, I'm going to go back to this list of things that you've done in your life. Um, I've, there's a word here, Yarandali. 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 Yes. yes, no, that was... So uh, I, prior to becoming an airline captain, I trained straight out of school, uh, went to art school. And um, actually, that's a funny story. So when I was young, I... To cut that bit. That's okay. No, I, I, was, I was just looking at your long, long list of things that you've done in your life, and my eyes just go wide every time I look at this list. Anyway, keep going. So you studied yeah, art. You yeah, studied art. Yeah. So no, we're not I, cutting that bit out. Yeah. <laughs> I interrupted your story by what by looking at the list of things that you're going to be talking about, and I'm still amazed that this is one person's list. Anyway, so go back to art. You, 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 so when I was little, I my dad joined the RAAF. And we um, were very fortunate in the fact that we um, lived in Malaysia, in Penang. And back in the day, back in the 70s, that gives away my age, um, OH&S kind of didn't, didn't exist as it does today. And as dad's eldest child, one of two daughters... I became like the son that he never had. And I used to go to You're work. You're too pretty with him. to be <laughs> And I, um, yeah, I used to go to work with him and hang around aircraft. And they, they didn't care if uh, here I was at, you know, seven, eight-year-old child going underneath aircraft that were jacked up and walking around aircraft on the tarmac. It was basically, you know, if something happened to you, well, you're an idiot for letting it happen to you. But I also was fortunate that I could go up in a Mirage trainer. You went up in a Mirage. I did, but it was a two-seater trainer. Yeah, but still a Mirage. I know, I know. And they, yeah, so they um, took me up and I, you know, pulled some negative Gs and tried to make That's something we used to do on a BMX bike when I was a kid. (laughs) Anyway, I'm sure it's different in a fighter fighter plane. Yeah, no. um, no, we didn't fire any weapons, but it was um, it was a lot of fun, and you know, think extreme roller coaster rides. But 
And then I was... Um, How old were you at this stage? You I was eight years You were eight years of age and you're sitting in a... That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And then I also went up in Hercules, Caribou, Chinooks, because that is what was there at Butterworth. And they often took us up as kids because we'd win colouring in competitions. Now, I would have loved at the time to have won a bike or something like that. But no, we got to go up... In another aircraft. I want a pencil case and you got a flight. <laughs> I got many <laughs> In a fighter plane. I got many flights because I had a thing for drawing and, and painting. So I um, would go up in these flights and I'd see these guys, these pilots who were like demigods, and they were doing the same thing over and over. And, and in my um, childish innocence, I suppose, I saw them and thought, what's so special about them? Why are they being paid more? Why do, you know, all the girls like these guys? Why do the others respect them? When all they're doing are the same things and it looked pretty easy. So I thought, I'm going to be a pilot. Now, my parents didn't discourage me at all. They didn't tell me that there would be any issue with that and whether that was because I was a child and they didn't want to poo-poo my dreams. But we came back to Australia and, and then in high school I, you know, uh, was doing all the things and my, my careers advisor told me, no, nope, there's no way you're going to be a pilot because ladies, that's not a career option for a lady. And also if I wanted to be a pilot, I would need to wear a tampon every time I flew. You were told that. <laughs> I was. And I went to a By a, ca- a careers advisor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I know. So yeah, the reason for the tampons is because the, you know, women aren't anatomically correct for flying and that our insides would come out and... Uh. So, I, I <laughs> And what is this careers advisor doing right now? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Wow. But I, I, I went the another option and, and did art. And so, so you listened to long, them? I did. You I listened did. to I them. Listened so to you, them. you had... Okay. Too, right. too, too much. And was this careers advisor a man? No. It was a lady. It was a woman. A lady yes, giving yes. a fellow... Okay. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it actually wasn't that long ago. Well, it, well mm. I suppose it was. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think it wasn't that long ago. Um, and then, so I, I went and did art at university and that was a lot of fun. And yeah, I then, after graduating, moved out to the country and I um, applied for a, a role as a coordinator for an Aboriginal corporation called Urundali. Mm-hmm. Now, I had been, um, I'd been art trained. I had a degree in, in art and I had majored in Aboriginal art in in one semester and so that's the not major (laughs) (laughs) what are we cutting out now (laughs) I'll interject while Michelle you know (laughs) she's showing showing me this 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 arm cross saying we'll cut that out we'll cut I don't think we'll cut that we don't need to cut that out And uh, I'll, I'll just actually mention that not only did you did you study art, you're you're an acclaimed artist. You you have a couple of pieces right now on display in exhibitions. So anyway, back to your story. Now that you've composed yourself. <laughs> so yeah, but I, I had studied Aboriginal art at university, and so I thought I was very qualified to go to Moree, and I was living outside of Moree, about an hour and a half out of Moree. Um, at 110 kilometres an hour, and I, um, I I won the role. So I was teaching um, the some population of, of Maori Aboriginal population who are involved in this corporation um, on traditional techniques, 
and also getting them contracts. And so we actually, well, I got them a contract to do the artwork that was incorporated on the bedding mm-hmm. for the 2000 Olympics. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, and I'd yeah, go yeah. around and, and organise exhibitions for them. And they, um, yeah, so that, that was a lot of fun. That was for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, and then I moved to the big smoke of Narrabri. Really? But you're, like I said during your laughing break, that you're you're now a uh, an exhibiting artist. Is that the term we would use? Yes, yes, yes. yes. I've seen some of your artwork. It's um, it's it's got lots of different elements, and you you mentioned once that some of your your artworks have up to twenty different layers on on them. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. none of this one layer acrylic. I love oil paints and big. Um, Yeah, they're not small. No, they're They're not not small. No, and so. Yeah, I just work on them, work on them, one layer at a time, layer upon layer. So airline airline pilot, ferry pilot, corporate pilot, instructor, airline instructor, and an accomplished artist. And that's just the first two bullet points on your CV. (laughs) Yeah, we we better not print this document out because it's going to, like I said, take up more paper than it's in the Amazon forest. Well, after your... Olympic pursuits and uh, the success that you had there, you have gone on to be a keynote speaker, which a lot of listeners would know you as, mm. and trainer in leadership. Yeah, I I am very, very lucky or fortunate in that uh, I, I found uh, what I love doing. And what I love doing is, is just telling stories and sharing what I call... Um, well, I, I, I like to say that I'm the conduit of wisdom. So throughout my life, I've been very fortunate to, to learn from lots of different people and from lots of different sources, so books and podcasts and people like yourself. And I love listening to other people's wisdom and then passing it on. So I love training and, and speaking and teaching. So I forged a career as a, as a corporate trainer. Uh, so I do a lot of leadership coaching, leadership training, um, mentoring and coaching. And I also get to tell stories on stage. Uh, so I'm a, a keynote speaker at conferences. And and I often, I say this all the time, but it's it's, it's just so true. It, it's too much fun to be considered a job. It's, it's I get to share stories. I get to share wisdom that I've collected along the way. And hopefully it helps, helps people um, in some way, shape or form. Well, I've 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 heard one of your keynote uh, speeches and it's amazing. Like it's it does it it takes you on an emotional journey and I left wanting to um, be better and do better and and feeling that I could based on what you you'd mentioned in your stories. Mm. Oh, well, I I think it's 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 a it's a fantastic. Um, what's the word? I don't want to use the word skill, but it's it. I have the opportunity to to pass on to others wisdom, um, stories and and learning that hopefully will help them in their careers, in their personal lives. Now, with that, is there anyone that you've met interesting? I've, I've got here on your list 
PM's nerd. PM's nerd. <laughs> okay, yes. Um, well, before I was a, a, a keynote speaker or a leadership trainer, um, I actually trained quite a few uh, different workshops, so things like negotiation, public presentation skills, all of all of the different professional development workshops. I think we've got about 20 in our, in our company that we train. Um, but before that, I was actually a nerd. I, I'm still a nerd. I started out, uh, one of my first jobs was on the help desk. I used to support Lotus One Two Three for DOS, so that should tell the audiences the audience how old I am. Um, and I rolled out the first versions of Windows and Microsoft, and I ran a help desk. Uh, and after that, I, I trained IT for quite some time, and. I was Australia's first mouse master, not Australia's first, but one of the first mouse masters in Australia. I can't say I was Australia's first. I joked one day and I started to believe that that was true. <laughs> I, I have no idea. But I'm Microsoft Office user specialist and so I've got a background in being a nerd. And oh, so it's an acronym. It's an acronym, mouse, <laughs> mouse master. Yeah, I didn't train mice. <laughs> <laughs> Little whips and chains. Mice Come on, mice, you will, yes. you will obey my instructions. And... Um, so I, I worked in Canberra for a long time as a as a Microsoft Office trainer, and I ended up working at the, in the Prime Minister's office. And they asked me to go to Kirribilli House up here in Sydney, and uh, I got to install some software on the Prime Minister's computer. And I got to show Jeanette Howard, um, the Prime Minister's wife, how to use the computer at the time, because obviously it was all new to, to people. Um, so I got to sit at the Prime Minister's desk. And so I will claim to be the Prime Minister's nerd. <laughs> I also worked in his office here in Sydney, as, as well as down at Parliament House in, in Canberra. So yes, so my credentials involve being a nerd. Okay. Excellent. Well, you go from PM's nerd to um, lunch with Jamie Fox. Yeah, that's quite a different, <laughs> that different story. I, w- I was walking through Fox Studios one day and a, uh, a in lady... Sydney. In Sydney. Yeah. yes. And, and a lady, not Jamie Fox Studios, but Fox <laughs> Studios here in Sydney. And a lady ran up to me and said, oh, your, 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 your children are beautiful. Can we take photos and put them in catalogues? And, and so we decided, yes, okay, okay, and we'll, we'll, we'll entertain this idea. And when we were standing in there and they were taking photos of the children, the lady said to me, oh, how tall are you? And I said, oh, I'm six foot two. And she said, do you want to be in Star Wars? Now, I'm a geek and, and Star Wars was one of my favourite movies growing up and they were filming the latest Star Wars here in Sydney. And she said, would you like to be in Star Wars? So I said, yeah. And it's funny, uh, when I was in the circus, some of the kids went and actually uh, were in movies and one of uh, the movies that they were in was... Um, called Molly and I was very jealous that these kids got in so I wrote on my bucket list I'm going to be in a movie one day and so when she said do you want to be in Star Wars I'm thinking I'm going to tick this off my bucket list and you and Princess yeah, Leia yeah me and Princess Leia <laughs> or Jabba the Hutt one of the two and um, she said uh, oh, let's, let's take some photos and measure you up and all that sort of stuff so they, they measured they took photos they measured me up they got all my details and they put, put it into their database and then they rang the studio and the studio came back and said look he's, he's just he's too big for the for the alien costume so I was going to be an alien in Star Wars and I was very disappointed when I couldn't be and um, and so they they said well look I'm sorry and then they asked us if we wanted to pay more money to get the kids into catalogues and so anyway we walked away from that I was a bit disappointed I wasn't going to be in Star Wars and we didn't put the kids in in any any catalogues or anything like that but then months later I got this phone call and this and I'd completely forgotten about that experience at Fox Studios that day and so I got this phone call and they said a guy we we have a part for you and I said um I didn't 
order any parts and they said no we've got a part for you and I said no, like I said I didn't order any parts and we had this very strange conversation well it would have been strange from her perspective and it was very strange from my perspective because I thought somebody was ringing me up to tell me that they had a part that I'd ordered and I hadn't ordered, ordered any parts anyway I think it took about five minutes for me to figure out that she was uh, from this talent agency this this agency over at Fox Studios and then she said that they had a part for me in a movie and now I'm not an actor in any way, shape or form. I can't sing, I can't dance. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite surprised. And then I realised it was because of, of that, that day when they said, do you want to be in Star Wars? And they said, look, you, you look like a, a Hollywood movie star and uh, we'd, we'd love you to be his stand-in. And I didn't know what a stand-in was. And because it was on my bucket list, I said, yep, no worries. So I turned up to Fox Studios and they, uh, they shaved my hair off. They said, can we give you a haircut? And I said, yeah, no worries. And they shaved it off. So put me into a crew cut, put me into a naval uniform took photos of me sent it to the studio and then less than five minutes later they said uh you've got the part and I didn't even know what I was there to do and uh so apparently I look like uh Sam Shepard who is a famous Hollywood actor where he's passed away now but um I went home and I said look I I, apparently I look like Sam Shepard and I'm gonna be his stand in a movie and then I found out he was about 30 years older than me (laughs) (laughs) so I wasn't too happy with that um but the next day I, I arrived on set. I had to cancel a whole two, two or three weeks of, of training work that I had and I went to the Fox Studios and I got to be Sam Shepard's stand-in in, in this movie called Stealth. And, and one of the actors in the movie is Jamie Foxx and I didn't know who he was at the I, time. I just have to say, I know the movie Stealth. You do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's some aeroplanes in there. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, of course, yeah, of course, yeah, and yeah. being the aerosexual that you are. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes you, you love yeah. anything to do with aeroplanes. <laughs> Not a great movie, but... Uh, <laughs> but anyway. Um, and, and one day I, um, I was... The director said, look, I need you back on set really quickly, so go and have some lunch and then come back to set. So I, and I raced off, and this is before Jamie Foxx won an Academy Award, and so I, I don't know who he is anyway. So I was told as, as a stand-in as in, in the movie that I had to eat at the back of the tent. I, I had to be last in the queue, but the director had just said to me, look, you need to be back on set, grab something to eat, get back here quickly. So I grabbed a plate of food, sat down at a table, not realising I was sitting at the actor's table. <laughs> Jamie Foxx sits opposite me and and, uh, and he said, oh, who are you? And I said, I'm, I'm Guy. And he said, oh, nice to meet you, Guy. What do you do? And I said, oh, I'm Sam Shepard's stand-in. And I, <laughs> and I said to Jamie Foxx, Academy Award winner, stand-up comedian, brilliant actor. And I said to him, and who are you? <laughs> He just laughed and spat his food out. <laughs> and, and, and I said, no, I'm serious, man. I don't know who you are. And he said, Jamie. And I said, what do you do, Jamie? And he said, um, are you serious now? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I don't know who you are, mate. And he said... I'm in the movie and I said you got a big part he's one of the the stars of the movie and I'm asking Jamie Foxx one of the most brilliant actors of all time what he what what he was there doing and um and then yeah I had two weeks on that movie set and I didn't didn't see Jamie again I didn't see any of the other lead actors but I certainly did get to meet a lot of people I got to work with Dean Semler who is a um he won the uh, cinematographer Oscar for uh, Dances with Wolves um, ah, and got to meet some amazing people and Rob Cohen, the director. And, yeah, it was a great experience. But not being in the movies, not knowing anything about the industry, I was a bit of a bit of a doofus on set <laughs> asking questions that I should have known the answer to, such as, who are you, Jamie Foxx? <laughs> So yeah, that's where that, that, that bullet list comes from. Wow. Oh, that... It- 
that it's not at all similar, but it reminds me of the time I was in an advertisement for Virgin Australia and um, it was the Come Fly With Me campaign. I we, we had a whole day out at Eastern Creek and there were um, hundreds of, of extras there acting as cabin crew and pit crew, etc. And then there was the captain and myself. I was first officer. And we had hair and makeup done and then we had to, to walk and, and do things coming out of a hangar for the ad, which they were putting together. And I remember there was this absolutely beautiful man, best cheekbones, great hair, the whole thing. And he came up to me and he looked me up and down and he said, how did you get to be a pilot? And I said, oh, trained. And he said, no, like, seriously, I would look better in that uniform than you. <laughs> You probably would, but I am actually a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> so he was an actor thinking that you were, yeah, yeah, yeah. That you were an actor. That's right, okay. that's right. So, yeah. Ah. But he would, have, he would have looked amazing. <laughs> so, so you would have no, down, no doubt been in quite a few advertisements for Virgin. You were like the... I was in, in print for a, a couple, but, uh, yeah, there was one television advertisement, mm. um, the music Come Fly With Me. Yes. And, yeah, yes. Yeah, I won't start singing for our, <laughs> our audience. Well, you said our, singer wasn't in no, your Yeah, yeah, no, don't come fly. With, no, I'm certainly not going to hit, I can't hit a note, so. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt no, 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 no. Um, well, okay, so you were, you were in the ad for Virgin, being the Virgin captain, but you were also... A promotional girl for Coca-Cola, is that right? Oh, that was a long time ago. No, I want to hear, I, but I want to hear this story. I want to hear this story. Uh, yes. So when I was a teenager, um, a fair bit younger than I am now, I did a little bit of modelling and promotional work, and one of them was for Coca-Cola. I was living at Newcastle at the time, and the um, the requirement was that I had to be in a red bikini with Coca-Cola sash on and um, lots of daggy makeup on roller skates. Now, I had to roller skate amongst people at the beach, not on the sand, but on the um, sidewalk, which was was cement, and offer them Coca-Cola cups. Mm. And so the only thing was I said yes, jumped at the opportunity, and because I was going to get paid... But the only thing was I had never roller skated before. I couldn't roller skate. So if you can imagine a giraffe, because I'm very tall, a giraffe on roller skates. And that's about where I'm at. So it was awkward. It was horrible. And so I ended up clinging on to a a handrail. And anyone trying to look nonchalant and, you know, beautiful. And... (laughs) But absolutely shitting myself inside that I would need to move from my post on the rail. And anytime anyone walked past and said, yeah, I'd like a Coke, thanks, or a Coca-Cola, I would be like trying to look alluring and say, well, you've got to come to me. But then, <laughs> it's because you... If they did it, I would spill the whole, the whole tray. <laughs> you come to me and get a Coca-Cola. Yeah, so... It was only for one day, only for four hours, and then that my roller skating career was done. <laughs> so have you learned to roller skate since then? No. No? Okay. <laughs> so tick, that is true, Coca-Cola <laughs> ambassador. Yes, that's right. But, so on your list, I can see here, um, journo. Journo. Yeah, I studied journalism at, at university, um, and I did, did sports journalism. I don't know. 
I, I actually do know how I ended up there. I was going to be a PE teacher when I left uh, left high school because I loved sport. I was a mad sportsman, and and so I went and studied PE in Melbourne and ended up deferring for a year. And then uh, when I went to the Institute of Sport down in Canberra, I tried to get in PE and they couldn't get me in there because the course was full. So they ended up putting me in sports science. So I did a year of sports science. I was a science nerd as well as an IT nerd. And then at the end of that year, I, I asked them, can I please now go back into PE because I want to be a PE teacher? And they said, no, the, the course is still full. But hey, look, you're, you're a pretty good writer. Why don't you be a journalist? And I didn't, I didn't think about it. Um, I just said yes because I said yes to everything, which by the sounds of it, that's what you do. You say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. Um, and that's why your, your CV is so extensive. And I said yes to, to getting into journalism. Didn't know at the time. It was actually a very difficult course to get into at the University of Canberra. Um, so I ended up being in a journalism degree. Um, and then I, I remember the most awful day of my life up until that point was I was, I was sitting in the, the lecture and the lecturer came out and he was handing back the essays and he said, Guy, you got the top marks, read your essay out to the class. And I nearly passed out because this was the first time I was going to be speaking in front of people for my entire life. I had avoided it through high school and uh, I ended up doing a, 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 having to read my essay out to the class and nearly oh passed goodness. out. <laughs> I, I thought you'd been confident your whole life. No, 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 no. I, well, I think one of our podcasts is going to be on that topic, but <laughs> how we both went from being shy because we, we, we discussed this, yeah, we were both very, very shy. I... I often describe myself as a shy, sensitive, insecure little sook as a kid. I'm still sensitive. I cry in movies, but um, <laughs> not shy anymore. But yeah, and so I was in a journalism degree and did a little bit of broadcast journalism, even though I was, I was petrified of, of speaking in front of people. And yeah, so I ended up with that degree and have never used it. So I've never worked as a journalist, and, um, but I do like writing, so I, I write a lot of training material. Well, I know a couple of journos, and so did that then lead into your next um, career move of owning a vineyard? Uh, <laughs> Is there the alcohol? Well, why were we taking off my list faster than your list? Um, <laughs> we, well, no, okay, so I see the connection, journalist, drinker. I used to, say, oh, yeah. I used to joke that I, I never ended up working as a journalist because I don't drink and smoke, but I do, I do drink occasionally, and I certainly don't smoke. But, um, yeah, no, vineyard, yes, that, that one's true. So uh, a friend of mine, Matthew, had uh, approached me and asked me if I was interested in, in getting into a vineyard and and so we myself and a, a bunch of mates we we ended up um building a vineyard in New Zealand in Marlborough one of our one of our mates from university had had won a gold medal for his Samuel Blanc over in Marlborough and and I say yes to everything so when my friend said would you be interested in in getting into a vineyard I said yes absolutely so we uh, we built a beautiful beautiful vineyard in in New Zealand outside uh, in the Mul Marlborough region, not far from Blenheim. And it was a gorgeous, gorgeous space. It looked over at like a, a river and snow-capped mountains and we, we built it and we put down some Sauvignon Blanc and then the GFC happened. And so it, it, what was meant to be quite an easy, uh, you know, or a, a lazy little uh, foray into having a vineyard and selling grapes to our mate who was going to make wine and we had a little vineyard called Duck and Pheasant. Um, well, to, actually, to, just as I've flown you yeah. when uh, before I knew you, I've probably drunk a, a bottle or a case of 
Yeah, well, you may you may have you may have drank uh, a few few, because my business partners were involved in a lot of different wines and had a wine distribution company. And our mate Ant Ant Moore, he makes a lot of different wines, so there's a very good chance that you've you've drunk some of their their very fine wines. But yes, a vineyard, yes, true, Um, but. it wasn't very long-lived. We we got out of the vineyard business uh, a few years ago now, but that that was a great experience. We we ended up not making a lot of money. We we but we certainly didn't lose a lot of money. Um, <laughs> but I, I okay. So we're no we're looking at. I'm looking at your list now, and there's two I'm going to choose from here. Like I'm gonna. I'm, okay, I was in in viticulture. Uh, you were a cotton farmer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So pilot. Uh, teacher, um, art artist, Coca Cola merchandise. What what's the word I would use after merchandise? Um, rep, represented? No. Yeah. Coca- we, can, yeah. we can go highbrow. Yeah. Cotton farmer. Cotton okay. Farmer, Talk to yeah, me about cotton yeah. farmer. So so, um, I I I met um, my husband, my first husband. <laughs> I've I've uh, had a couple. Um, we won't, we won't hold that against you. That's, that's common these days. <laughs> that's right, um, and it's nothing to do with the pilot thing. You know what they say? It's not true. But um, so my husband and I met at university. Now he was in agriculture. I was an arty freak, and when he graduated, we um, moved to Northwest New South Wales, and we had a cotton farm. So I got to learn a lot about cotton chipping weeds um all the chemicals all the you know the um the the sale price uh the water allocations etc so yeah it was Mm. it was definitely interesting but in that time also as um after I was working at Urindali, I became a publican of the one of the local so you ran a pub okay okay so Rowena which wasn't well, it wasn't that far from where we were, um, about half an hour drive. And so, yeah, I ran the pub and I would go into the big smoke of Tamworth, which was a couple of hours away. Nearly three I know hours Tamworth away. quite well. Yeah. A lot of my very good friends started at the water polo in Tamworth. It's ah, a very, very strong water polo Well, community. that was like the city. Yep. So, yeah, I'd drive there and pick up cigarettes and beer. There was no For wine out at Rowena. But, yep. yeah, that was, um, yeah. It was an interesting time. So, uh, and how did you get to be a welder? <laughs> Just straight to it. So, after living in uh, Rowena and having cotton farm and, and doing all of that, moved to Narrabri. And I was, uh, because I, I was trained as an artist, I am um, pretty well jack of all trades. Um, I got into the TAFE system, so I was teaching at college, yep. at um, the technical college there, and in smaller country towns, if they utilise every um, qualification you have, mm-hmm. and as part of my degree... That couldn't did... possibly use all of your qualifications. <laughs> <laughs> but as part Are of there my that many courses that TAFE? <laughs> Funny. Um, welding I had done at university as part of the sculpture component, so... They uh, gave me a crash course in how to teach, basically, at TAFE. And, yeah, I taught welding. So I would be teaching art, business studies, because, again... They're they're compatible. (laughs) That's right. And I had had been in hospitality and retail at university to try and make some money to survive. Waitress in a cocktail bar? 
for years. Okay, so I was just... <laughs> visual merchandising, so yeah. doing the displays in in uh, department stores, and then yeah, I taught welding. So I'd come from one where I was wearing pearls and heels and put on overalls and um, yeah, teach welding. Pearls and heels and overalls. That should be a song. <laughs> Prince could sing it. Tractor driver. Ah, okay. That's, uh, yes. Is that involving the cotton farm or is that different? No, no. no okay, all right. Different times. So that was, uh, whilst I was at university, the tractor driving is out at Durham Bandy, which is on the New South Wales Queensland border. Mm-hmm. And we'd have 12 hour shifts. So it was uh, two kilometre runs. And yeah, for, so for 12 hours, I'd drive two kilometres, turn around, drive two kilometres. So you'll, you'll give anything a go? I'll give absolutely anything is that, a go. Is that the secret to a CV that is longer than absolutely, any human on absolutely. earth that I have ever oh, met? Just yes. saying yes. Is that is that your secret? Do you yes. just say yes to anything that comes your way? Yes. yes. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And if I don't know how to do it, I'll give it a red hot go and learn on the way. <laughs> yeah. So do you, do you have any mottos that you that you live by? Any, any I don't know... Um, is, is it a motto or is it, a, is it just a, a, a way of life? Yeah, I'm pretty much. I, I Well, apart from giving anything a go, you keep going until you can't. I love that. I love that. So I keep going until I can't. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like you've never reached a point where you can't, though. Not yet. Wow. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. I thought my list was long. I really did. I've been told by many people. Actually, this was. I was told this in my 30s. I'm now in my 50s. But I can't believe you fit so much into your life. And so I've, I've heard that from many people many times. But I've now met you and the list of things that you've achieved, we haven't even gone through the entire list. I, I just don't, I don't know how much longer we can do this first podcast. We're, we're going, it's nearly an hour so far. Okay, well, we but, should probably stop. Oh, no, I think we should keep going because we're only halfway through the Bollinger. And, oh, and the best thing about podcasts is people can press pause and, and keep going. True. Yeah, true, they can come true. back. Like they've driven to work five times now <laughs> in this podcast, and and they've decided to keep listening to us. If they're still listening now, they've decided. Yep, these these two clowns, or this clown and this captain, <laughs> the captain and the clown, are worth listening to. And you know, the Bollinger. We're only. Well, what, we're, we're, we're two thirds of the way down. No, I, I'd say we're only a third of the way down because it's it's thinner at the top. I, I'd say you have a, a um, perception problem. Okay. Well, I do. I do have a perception <laughs> problem. That's why a lot of the things that are on my list are quite weird. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, if we're continuing on, let's go. Um, let's keep going. They can pause. They can pause and come back. Well, true. Okay. So, uh, the old. You know, remember when uh, on aeroplanes, how mm. you had the sick bag, yeah. the vomit bag? Yes. was also where you could put your roll of film and have a process. I do remember that. Yeah. I do remember that. So yeah. what do you have to do with that? It wasn't the vomit. No, it wasn't the vomit bags, but those bags, you, know, you would put your roll of 35mm film in. <laughs> yes. yes. And you would take them off to a photo laboratory to to get them developed and printed. So when when I went to, straight to university and studied PE teaching, I after a year, I wasn't really motivated to continue studying. I don't know why. I love learning now, but I didn't learn it, didn't like it so much back then. So I decided to take a year off, much to my parents' chagrin, and I applied for a bunch of jobs and got a job as a printer in a photo laboratory. And so I got to sit there and take people's little 35mm film canisters and develop them and then 
uh, develop the negatives and then print their photos. So I've seen all your photos. Not yours. (laughs) Yours as in my listeners. I've seen seen lots of people's photographs. And, and yeah, it's interesting what people will take a photo of and then get somebody else to to develop it. And... uh, and so I was doing that for for some time, and then uh, a waterpolo club up here in Balmain, uh, in Sydney, Balmain, had approached me to come and play waterpolo for them. And I thought, no, nah, I'm going probably going to go back to uni in Melbourne. And and then I just made a snap decision. No, I'm I'm going to move to Sydney and play waterpolo for Balmain. And so I went into the manager's office and said, look, can you um, can you get me a job in Sydney as a as a printer as a a printer in one of your labs up there and they said yeah I'll, I'll give i'll give sydney a call and see if there's any available so i i moved up to sydney and i ended up working as a as a printer in the mrc building and so i'm just a printer i yeah. sit there behind this big hot machine and and print out people's photos yeah, and do you do you actually look at Oh, you, you have to because <laughs> because you have to check to see whether you've got any dust on the prints and Do you ever make reprint them. For yourself? Not legally, no. I, I collected sunsets and, <laughs> and some of my colleagues collected other things, and so our our, our, sta- our staff room was very artistic. Yes, yes, we all had our own wall, and I I I'd, I'd collected sunsets, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so. Anyway, so I was, a, I was a printer there and then one day uh, the manager decided to, to quit and go off and do whatever they were going off to do and I got a phone call from the head office and they said, oh, congratulations, you're now the manager. I didn't even apply for the job and I'm now the manager of a photo laboratory uh, so I have to open and close and run staff and so that was my first foray into leadership was was running a, a photo laboratory for Rabbit Photo. I'm not sure if you remember them, Rabbit yes, Photo. Yeah, yes, and so we used to develop Kodak film and Fuji film. And, and so, yeah, I was a, a photo shop manager. Um, t- far too young, far too young to be in a, in a leadership or a management position. But that was where I cut my teeth, mm. I guess, on leadership and the challenges of being a leader. Yes. So I'd like to go back to your list, um, and I, I don't know where to go next. So um, is there is there something that you'd like to add? There's there's too many to choose from. Uh, uh, okay, architect. Were you an architect? No. So that's bullshit. All right. <laughs> Finally, we okay. So we found the first thing on your list that was that is false. You, you stuck that in there to 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 fool with me. Okay. Now you're a, a model. Yes, yes. So um, I did some some modelling whilst I was at university. Anything for to you know keep keep going. And um, I heard though that you actually I can see on your list is model also. Okay, yeah. It's, I, I wouldn't say modelling. I know you did do merchandising and you were also a Coca Cola. And, and so no, I need to hear more about your modelling story before I tell you about when I was a model. No, mine was um, campaigns such as In Bed with Maduna. So it was <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a very cr- creative title. company in Wagga Wagga. Yeah. Takes two Waggas to make Wagga Wagga Wagga. Wagga Wagga. Um, that's but, yeah. not far from where I grew up, yes. I know, in mm-hmm. the Albury. Um, but uh, yeah, that that was and and did a, a bit of catwalk, etc. But um, no, nothing. You you wouldn't see me on Vogue. Linda Evangelista was one of my heroes yeah, at the right. time. There you go. No. I think you're probably taller than her. Possibly. Yeah, I actually, think you would be. Yeah. I think you'd have her just, even though you're very short. Uh, <laughs> I'm quite tall. If you're not, if you're not aware, listeners. Um, <laughs> I, I tower over Michelle by a good two, three, four millimetres. No, no. 
<laughs> it's got to be inches. Um, yeah, so modelling. No, I was never a model. I, I did appear naked in a magazine, though. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. I have seen it. Oh, you haven't have you? Oh, on the wall. On the wall. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it on the wall? Um, yeah. So I, when I was in the Australian uh, water polo team, we I was asked to appear nude in a in black and white magazine. And so it was, uh, yes, my first and only modelling experience. So that was quite interesting that I had to do it with my kid off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they rang me and, and, and asked me if I was prepared to do it. And like you, I said yes to everything. And, and then they said, you'll be nude. And I didn't take the yes back. Um, anyway, so yeah, so I ended up being naked in a magazine, black and white magazine. Ah, mm, awesome. Yes. No, I'm not, no. Okay, the funny story is that um, uh, myself and uh, one of Australia's best female water polo goalkeepers, Liz Weeks, was also in the same magazine. And she's a good friend of mine, and and she rang me and she said, "Um, so you were asked to be in the magazine? And I said, yeah, and you were as well. She said, yeah. And she said, "Um, how about we do it together? And I thought, what a great idea. That would be, you know, take all the fear away, you know, um, just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then I ran it past my wife, and uh, that that was a big no, um, <laughs> because I can kind of understand. Yeah, that. because yeah. Liz Liz was actually ended up um, winning the, I, I guess not really a, the award, but she was voted the world's most uh, beautiful or world's most sexy um, sports person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She so, she had a great body. Yes, I, I recall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, asking my wife if, at the time if if I could appear naked with the world's most beautiful sportswoman. Yeah, that was a big hard no, that one. Yeah, yeah, that, that one didn't go ahead. That one didn't go ahead. But uh, that was uh, <laughs> that was the only only time anyone ever asked me to be in front of a camera. <laughs> so, um, okay, well, I think that might be enough of, of, of our past, our, our experiences and things. So basically, we're, we're, we'll, we'll be the ones that either put our hand up or everyone else steps back and we're still the ones... We say yes. Yeah, so we say yes. We say yes. Yeah. And, and, and saying yes to opportunities that come your way means that you get lots of experiences. It doesn't mean you necessarily become good at those things. Um, I've tried many, many things and failed at, but I think that the attitude that both you and I have, and that is to say yes to every experience that comes your way. Mm. And it's a lot with attitude as well. So mm. not, not being arrogant about it, but... Just doing the whole and, and being humble and saying, look, I, I've never done this before, and, mm. but I'll give it a go mm. or I've got this experience. Could it help you? Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think it's an attitude that, that definitely helps you um, go places yeah. in the fact that you're not closed off to anything. Yeah, yeah. And because of it, we ended up with lots of experiences. I think I was actually too scared to say no. <laughs> I think yeah, saying no was probably... Same was was harder than saying yes to some of these strange and and uh interesting experiences that I've had. Yeah, I I agree actually. I I was probably the same and until possibly a few years ago, I um was scared to say no, but yeah, I've I've developed a confidence and um trusted my own judgment more and 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 now and more selective put it that mm, way mm. Mm. more selective of what you say yes to exactly well, i guess you learn that as you go don't you yeah, yeah. so we're going we're to be talking about lots of topics in this podcast 
um, we, we wrote a list of the sorts of um, things that we're going to be talking about and we've got also a large list of people that we're going to be inviting on to the... Absolutely, uh, whether they the... come on or not, but yeah, we'll invite well. them. <laughs> <laughs> we're planning on doing a thousand podcasts. Whether yeah. people decide to come on or not, that's, that's up to them. But um, So I'm just going to go through a list of the things that we've uh, discussed before this original podcast as to what we're going to be talking about. So the first podcast, um, I'd like to talk about confidence. So this is something that... I didn't have as a young person, and you you said you were quite shy when you were younger. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so uh, being a a geeky, skinny, tall girl, yeah, there was. There you was could no use the same description. Yes, just just put boy where you had girl. Yeah, tall, geeky, yeah, awkward, mm. nervous young man, and yeah. then. It's to think that both of us ended up being quite successful in our careers in, in different endeavours. Um, I think confidence is, is the first topic I'd like to talk about yeah, um, because I, I, I really struggled not having any confidence yeah. and I actually went and saw psychologists about my lack of confidence and I wasn't helped by any professionals and I think I've discovered the secret to confidence so I'd like to share with you, Michelle, um, and our listeners in, a, in our next podcast what confidence is all about and where it comes from mm. and I, I think I've oh, unlocked the secret and I'd love to talk about that now this next one is something you're quite passionate about is communication absolutely mm. yes yeah so the unspoken so texting I'm, I'm sure everyone's familiar with you know texting and getting the wrong um, message you know words mean so many different things without any um, you know verbal or or, or physical um, cues at all so communication is a big one mm. and, and life leadership and everything else leadership leaders need to be confident because you follow confident people communication is important because in leadership you need to be a good communicator um we're also going to be talking about growth mindset something that we're both quite we found out we're both quite passionate about and um, decision making is a big one mm. um, that that um you know, featured a lot in my training and just day to day with being an airline captain, you know, decision making and um, you had so many lives in your hand basically. And Mm. so it was, um, you know, and you do four sectors and it's, it's close to, you know, a thousand people that lives that you're relying on you. And so you're making decisions with people's lives on the line. Absolutely. And and I I have heard a couple of your stories about that and I'd, I'd love to go deeper into, into understanding about how you make a decision when you've got... What, what's the capacity of, of, some, of one of the planes that you flew? What's the maximum uh, capacity? Uh, so I was on the 737, yep. so 186 people. 186 people. So when you're making decisions and 186 people's lives are on the line, that's, that's what I want to know. How do you do that? I couldn't even imagine all the decisions that I've made in my life. It only affected one or two or three people, but you've made decisions that have affected... A lot of people. So I'm looking forward to that podcast in particular. Mm. Um, we're going to be talking about mentoring and coaching because we both mentor yeah. and yeah. coach. Yeah. And you're doing a lot of mentoring of, of young young ladies in aviation and in... And in, not so young, in, yeah, in not, other aspects. In other areas yeah. as well, yeah. yeah. So that's going to be an interesting one. We're, we're, we've decided we'd like to talk about conflict as well. Yes, absolutely. Mm. There's quite often conflict comes up and... Um, depending on when you were born and uh, the experiences you've had, um, you know, how you handle conflict, it can really make or break where you're at. And so, yeah, it's, it's, there are ways to handle it and good and bad. Yep. And so, yeah, I think 
discussing that would be um, mm. quite beneficial. We're going to talk about creativity, being an artist, where yes. I'd like to talk yes. about where your muse comes from. Do you have a muse? Oh, uh, you do, yeah, and I'd love to hear more about that because it's art, art is not something that I have really been... Um, but look, in, including creativity in in your business life, in your everyday life, it's mm. it's not just painting or sculpting. It's it's really um, your perspective. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd say that. I've, I think I've applied creativity in my businesses, but art producing something that people look at and enjoy like you can that's something i'd love to learn more about and um we're going to talk painting yet yeah so we're going to talk about lots and lots of topics that's that's just a handful of the topics that we're Mm. that we're going to be talking about but this podcast is about life so we're going to share our experiences yeah you've had many i've had many we're going to talk about leadership Absolutely. So leadership uh, perspective of airline captain and how that applies to business, uh, everyday life. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Parenting. Absolutely. Yes, yes. both being yes. parents. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about leadership in relation to business and yes. being a, a CEO. I do a lot of coaching um, and also even new leaders. What, what do you yeah, need to yeah, think yeah, about? Aspiring when leaders, when yeah. emerging leaders, definitely. Mm. And yes. we've said everything else. Everything else, so because we're not limiting ourselves. <laughs> we certainly haven't limited ourselves. Uh, well, we're only halfway through the Bollinger, but I think that might be a long enough podcast because you have actually said to me many times now that well, we were aiming for twenty-five minutes, but we've been going for an hour and uh, an hour and ten, hour and eleven minutes. Um, and you did say that twenty-five minutes was important because you kept on telling me that length. Length matters. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so we've we've gone over on the first one, but Michelle, I, I look forward to hearing more of your stories. Um, you, I find you the most intriguing human being in that you've done so much in your short life. Um, <laughs> and, and, and you've achieved an incredible amount of things in your life. So I, I look forward to learning from you and listening more to your stories. And I, I certainly want to hear more of those flying stories, specifically ferrying little planes from America to Australia and just the courage that it takes to do those sort of things. So I look forward to our many podcasts together. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, no, it's um, I'm looking forward to turning up to the next one. Yes, hopefully there'll be another bottle of Bollinger. Yes. This podcast was brought to you by Bollinger. <laughs> Do you think they'll if be listening? They have enough time. If anyone listening it. has any contacts in the industry and they know anyone from Bollinger, we're we're, we're a big fan of Bollinger. I, I know it's over in France, but if you're if you're in France and you're listening in, please, Captain and the Clown. Yes. All right. Cheers, Michelle. Cheers. So, Michelle, where can they find us? Captainandtheclown.com Where you'll find links to our websites for keynote speaking and corporate training. Yes, that's captainandtheclown.com <laughs> Well, that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> the, You're such a clown. The clown. Captain. <laughs> Lady captain. <laughs> and who's going to listen to this? Maybe our mums. Thanks, mum. Thanks, mum.